0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me is Chuck Bryant with his beautiful jute rug. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. It's still, still beautiful. Yeah. So, Chuck, how you doing? Uh, I'm well, sir. You? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And to everyone out there listening, if I sound like I'm talking a little fast, that is because Chuck literally has a stopwatch here to keep <laughs> me from talking too much in this podcast. I kid you not. Yeah. In a, uh, a cat of nine tails. Yeah. We could very easily, I, I shouldn't say we, I could very easily traipse into, I guess, long-windedness is a euphemism I should use. Yeah, Chuck says, yeah, he's I'm nodding, nodding his head. <laughs> um, and so to combat that, Chuck has the stopwatch. So, Chuck, let's talk about some innovations that we need and why. Look at you. So proud. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Josh, you know, there are the world is in
0: uh, trouble in some ways, and uh, big innovations and big innovators come along and correct things and change all that. And that's what we need, buddy. We can, we've named three here. There are many more.
1: Yeah, agreed. And uh, what do you think about blogging?
0: Yeah, and thank you for reminding me. I would like, this is especially, I would like to call out to the blog and get you folks on the Friday recap when this comes out, because we have only, uh, named three kind of pie in the sky innovations that could help the world, and there are many more, and I'd like to hear what people have to say.
1: I would too, Chuck. So that's the call out. Nice, Chuck. So, uh, you want to get started on this? Yes. You got your, uh, you got your stopwatch going? Yes. Okay. All right. So, Chuck, let's do teleportation. I wish we could. My goodness, so do I. Have you ever been on, like, a long, long road trip? Uh, yeah, I like road trips, though. So, so. On the way? Right, on the way back. On to the States. way back is awful, right? Yeah. What if you could just drive to a place, say, you know, like a subway station? Sure. <laughs> Which is a good idea. Uh, and instead of getting on a subway, you just go through some sort of teleportation portal. So, a, a teleportation station. Nice, yeah.
0: They should call it that. I think they will, probably. Uh, Did you know this term's been around since 1931?
1: Oh, wow. You did some extra, extra research, didn't you? Yes.
0: An American writer and paranormal investigator named Charles Fort wrote it in his book, Low. Fort's
1: one of my heroes. You know that? Really? Yeah, in times.
0: Well, he had a book called Low with an uh, exclamation point at the end. L-O-W or L-O? L-O. Okay. And apparently that's where he first used the word teleportation. Fantastic. So yeah, that would be awesome, and
1: it's not exactly impossible. No, it's not. Thanks to the magic of quantum physics, we could conceivably teleport ourselves. Indeed. I guess the way that it's starting to look more and more is like we would be faxed. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to say
0: it. Instead of, uh, so, so what what you're doing is you're recreating, you would be recreating every cell in your body, and uh, copying it. And that first
1: uh, edition would have to be destroyed, though. That's one of the keys, right? That is the key. I didn't quite get to the bottom of why aside from, you know, very rapidly overpopulating the Earth. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I get the impression that as far as quantum mechanics goes, you would the original would have to be destroyed before transmission or as it was being scanned. Right. And then basically it takes these particles and atoms and everything. It doesn't actually transport the atoms. Right. This is this is the big distinction. Like all teleportation as far as science fiction goes generally, um, has to do with actually physically moving the atoms through the air and then recreating them elsewhere. Uh much like uh images on television. Right. As as you've seen Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, Mm -hmm. right? Much like that. That's not the case. Instead, what we would need to do is basically scan us. Uh What makes us us, all the information three dimensionally about where you know one of the cells in your liver is right, um about where you know every your genetic makeup, everything for absolutely every part of you, including stuff we haven't nailed down yet, would have to be analyzed and then sent, yes, and then it could be recreated and the first one was destroyed. There's a big problem with this
0: well, uh, namely, we're too complex. Of uh, of beings
1: to do that. Well, sure, but also if you subscribe to any kind of uh, Judeo Christian or any kind of uh, religious idea, um, uh, you you would have a big problem because basically you you've just been destroyed and all the information about you has been transferred. And if you True. believe the soul is some sort of well, if yeah. it's extant and an externality that's not part of your body, that it's it's something beyond that. Right. Uh, Can that be recreated? Yeah, that's true. But let's say most people who are working on uh, teleporting us don't subscribe to any ideas of the salt, right? Okay. So let's just go with that assumption. Let's just say physiologically, what are some of the challenges?
0: Well, they have actually teleported uh, atoms and uh, photons. Did you know that? You Uh didn't know that. I did. They've uh, sent atoms a distance of about half a meter, and they sent some photons over tens of kilometers. Pretty impressive. It is, and I know that there's one really smart guy out there, Charles Bennett, uh-huh. who was a really smart scientist. He uh, he said that in
1: principle, that uh, teleporting humans does not actually violate any fundamental laws of physics. No, they used to think it violated Heisenberg's uncertainty principle because we were talking about scanning, right? And once you get down to the subatomic uh, quantum level, mm-hmm. um, you're 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 dealing with uh, quarks, uh, little pieces of matter, and um, other non-material stuff, right? Uh, that w- when you analyze them, when you observe them, when you measure them, the the more accurately you measure them, the more likely you are to disrupt their behavior until you can't get an accurate measurement anymore. Right. They figured out a way around this, right? Uh, were you
0: talking about quantum entanglement? Yeah. Yes. That is, uh, Einstein actually called that a spooky action at a distance, except he said it in German, and it probably sounds cooler in German. Yeah.
1: Although the spooky's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: that's true. Uh, uh, basically, it's uh, two separate particles behaving as if it's uh, one particle, even though they're separated
1: by a great distance. Right. Well, they were together at one point in time. And they become entangled, like right. their their superpositions, their states uh, become uh, entangled. And then, yeah, after they're separated, the behavior of one is the same as the behavior of another, and they they can't, they shouldn't be influencing one another anymore. Right, but Bennett says
0: that that's not even necessary if you were to t- figure out how to uh, teleport a, an entire human. He said that, quote, the teleported person would end up slightly different, but not in a
1: biologically important way. So, Well, Chuck, um, there, there are some – think about what you just said. You're, you're reproducing something that's not biologically different. Think about your mood. The mood you're in right now, that's all a, a series of chemical reactions. Yeah. So we'd have to analyze down to that level, yeah. or else you'd come out on the other end, like maybe insane, right, exactly. or very depressed, or ready to kill. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of information that would have to be scanned to accurately reproduce you as you were before the scanning started. But let's say we can do that, right? What What are the benefits of teleportation? Why right. do we need this innovation? Since
0: this is all pie in the sky and uh, pipe dream type of stuff, let's say we can teleport. That would save time. Yes, time definitely. is money, yeah. How, how would you love to not um commute to beam yourself to work every day? That would be crazy awesome work days would be shorter. that means you could save energy at uh at the workplace. I know I get a lot more work done when I telecommute, yeah, and teleporting imagine that I know uh you could save on uh you were talking about transportation of goods and jets and big barges. maybe if you could teleport your goods, then you wouldn't have to uh you know fly things halfway around the world, yeah. That might be a good thing.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of benefits to teleportation.
0: What else you got? That's all. You don't have some Brady Bunch uh, zany uh, plot line that you can dream up here?
1: <laughs> no. No, because the original's destroyed. That's where all the comedy lies. Yeah, you're right. Yeah.
0: When there's duplicity. Yeah.
1: Or multiplicity. Except there wasn't that much comedy there.
0: Yeah, Michael Keaton.
1: Woof. Yeah. (laughs) So Chuck, um, press your stopwatch. Let's clear it out again. Yeah, let's clear it out. So, I mean,
0: trust me, folks. We could do an hour on teleportation, but... um, We
1: could, but we just stopped making sense after a little while. Not because you couldn't understand us, but because we're dumb. So what's number two, Josh? You ready? Yes. Okay, number two is a universal language. Chuck, consider this. How much conflict, war, misunderstanding, and just general strife, nationalism, isolationism, fascism, all of this stuff... How much of it is the result of this unphysical border we call language? right? They say that the the devil's greatest creation was language, really? Yeah, miscommunication. Sure,
0: absolutely, dude. And you know what? You're right. If there was an international language, if everyone spoke the same language,, yep. I don't think it would make us some big, you know, it would make us all the same. So lay those fears to
1: rest folks. No, most of the uh people I've I've read who are talking and thinking about universal language is saying like this is not meant to supplant native languages. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, if you're at home, you're if let's say you're in America, you're speaking English, mm-hmm. like Chuck and I speak English to one another, but if we went to give a seminar on podcasting in Norway, We would use the international language.
0: Interesting you bring up Norway because some folks say that Norwegian might be a good uh, start. Well,
1: they used to, they used to think that in 1911 at least,
0: right? (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Go ahead. Some people have thought about this over the years and they think that, uh, you should probably create a new language with another language as a basis, but it probably shouldn't be one of the big boys either because it would give that, that nation too much of a leg up.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So they no, suggested imagine Norwegian. if you said from now on, English is the universal language. Right. Everyone who speaks English should be like, damn straight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You'd have to create your own language if you want a universal language, and I know you're dying to talk about Esperanto.
1: Chuck, I had only vaguely heard of Esperanto before and didn't really know the nuts and bolts of it. Still don't, but um, actually Ben Bolin, Uh uh, the creator of one of our soon-to-be-released podcasts, a conspiracy podcast called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Very cool. Awesome. Have you seen it? Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, He was telling me about Esperanto, and basically uh, in the 19th century, a guy named L.L. Zamenhof. Uh, came up with this uh, idea that we need a universal language that would promote tolerance, equality, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Avoid war? Uh, again, yeah. Specifically, I think he said that was one of his aims. Yeah, he was definitely a pacifist. You know, he also uh, tried to come up with a um, uh, neutral religion. Yeah, I saw that. Called Homeronismo.
0: <laughs> Homeronism? Maybe,
1: maybe that's why I didn't take. Something, yeah, right, <laughs> that would be my no. guess. But he was 27, he was at the tender age of 27 and he created a universal language. He did. And, uh, basically it, uh, sounds a lot like it's a romance language, kind of. But it is. It's kind of like a broken romance language. Yeah, it's
0: it's independent in and of itself. huh. So while he did borrow from others, they say it's, a, they don't describe it as a, as a mix, like a potpourri of other languages just mixed together.
1: Right, no, huh. They, uh, it's structurally similar to, um, non-European languages than European ones meaning right. it's very much phonetic uh-huh. and it's it's spelled the way it sounds it's supposed to be pretty easy very easy there's six, say. 16 rules of grammar and pronunciation to it and that's right. it uh, because I mean you think about English you know you've got like good better best where the hell did better and best come from we started out with good right you know, like where does that come from? And apparently English is one of the uh, most difficult languages to learn. Did oh, you sure. know that? Yeah, I would say so. Because of all the little problems like that. So I think what Zamanoff was on the trail of, and I think anybody who's created a universal language, uh, is to get away with all the get get rid of all the all the foibles, the weird things that make a dialect or a language so unique. Right. Inconsistencies. One of the other problems is is that's actually a structural approach. Right. There's also a symbolic approach. Yeah, I like that one. The symbolic approach is like uh, we call uh, mother mother for no good reason. It's a symbolic word, right? You know, it's not like uh, the word cuckoo, where you know cuckoo is the sound that a cuckoo bird makes, right? Right. Uh, that's very structural, right? Uh, but this this uh, symbolic words would probably have even more difficulties than a universal language. Um, That was built structurally. Yeah. Because uh, what a language is, is it's a worldview of a a culture. Exactly. The people who share that language, right? Uh huh. So, how do you get the entire world to agree on, you know, the meaning of mother? Right. Well, mother's probably an easy one. Sure. But let's say the meaning of uh, happiness. Let's pick on happiness. Right. Yeah. Well, you can't. That's the problem. And that's probably
0: why there never will be a universal
1: language. That's not necessarily true. Also, I think that most. I think every single language, universal language attempt, and there's been some. Sure. Did you read about uh, uh, idiom neutral? Yeah, The Russian one? That Uh, sounded like it got pretty close. Well, what do you mean by close, though? Closer than Esperanto. Two million people speak Esperanto today. That is true. Have you been on uh, LearnU? No. It's a website (laughs) dedicated to teaching Esperanto. Oh, cool. It's got the tutorials and everything in there. So if you want to learn Esperanto, Chuck is right. There is actually a thriving little community of Esperanto speakers. And uh, there's also two movies that have been shot entirely in Esperanto. Really, We're going to talk about one. I have a feeling Johnny Depp did one of them. No. No? No. Uh, Bill Shatner. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is a 1965 movie called Incubus, and the whole thing is filmed entirely in Esperanto. William Shatner speaks Esperanto. Or at least he spoke the lines from that movie. Yeah, no, I, I, it rang a bell there. I heard he was uh, really. He learned it. Yeah, he he knows Esperanto. You know, worked with Shatner. Did I ever tell you that? Did he speak Esperanto to you? No. You're like, oh my God, that explains so much. No. I just thought he was having a stroke. He's a nice guy, though.
0: Yeah, he's a little puffy. Sure, but uh, it was for a TV commercial. He was he was into it.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, he like he, I, he really gave he it would his bring all. Bring it, bring everything. He to it. did. I was impressed because yeah. sometimes commercial actors are kind of like go through the motions. Well, Chuck, let's talk about it. What's the uh, What's, what are the benefits of universal language besides war avoidance or anything like that?
0: I would say economically it would be easier to uh, communicate and negotiate contracts and uh, broker deals and trade and stuff like that, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, definitely. And I think we need it. We're becoming more and more globalized. We're interacting with one another more and more. You basically can't be an isolated country any right. longer if you want to stay afloat. It would save time. Plus, also think about science. I mean, why does science use Latin? It's an agreed-upon universal yeah. language. What if there was an, a, a, a there was a real universal language yeah. that scientists could more easily communicate their ideas with one another, their findings?
0: Well, yeah, and I saw that um, in one of the articles we read for this. Uh, some some of the old school Russian scientists used to not like to have to publish in German, yeah, which I think at the time was what most German uh, and French, German and French, and then it a was lot like of
1: TS for you Russian, yeah, and yeah. a lot of
0: students either um, today have to read these things in a translated form that may not be
1: quite accurate. Or, you know, not read it at all. And time. Chuck, you want to go into number three? Yes. To clear out your your stopwatch there. Okay. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. And go. Go. This one is Chuck's favorite one. He picked this one. Are we ready? Yeah. Okay, Chuck picked this one. I think it's a good idea, too. Chuck, what is the third innovation that we need right now? Innovator. Is what we need. It, it, we need it, ladies a, a human. <laughs> Chuck
0: just spun it. Yeah, we need a human. We need another Einstein. We need another Newton. Uh, we need another Tesla. Sure. To come along. Uh, just not another Edison. That no, rat.
1: That lying rat, yeah.
0: <laughs> and Josh, some people might say when it comes to innovators, uh, you're probably thinking in the world of science, which is appropriate. And, uh, a Renaissance scientist, maybe where you need to to start your search.
1: Sure, uh, Chuck. We found this article about Renaissance scientists and mm-hmm. how actually in the United States in the higher educational system, the the cards are stacked against any of these people actually being produced. That, Very much. That we have to just basically hope that one comes along, and if it does, it's going to be a total fluke.
0: Right. You know. Because the idea is that in order to be a true innovator, uh, then you have to be. A whole brain scientist. Definitely. And the graduate system that we have today, they said the undergraduate system does a pretty good job of it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, think about all the different kinds of classes, the core classes, and then, you know, I took biology for no good reason. Yeah, of course.
0: Statistics. Oh, God, I hated stat. Oh, it was awful. Uh, But the whole brain thinkers are the ones that have the more well rounded approach, so not only are they, uh, Are they a brilliant uh, physics mind, but they can understand the human side of maybe how to apply that, and that's what's missing a lot of times.
1: Right. So uh, Mills and Otino, I think, wrote this uh, this opinion piece we found in Forbes um, that basically are saying, like, yes, yes, undergrad, we have it. It's great. Same generally with high school, middle school, grade school. Um, Kids are exposed to all these different fields of study the problem is, is it's geared generally toward funneling them one way or another yeah. and this becomes most evident when you get to grad school big time Where if you're a doctoral student and you need money yep you better come up with a a an incredibly specific unique yeah. and specific idea or field of research that you're going to go into it's
0: all geared toward that and uh, like you said that as you as you go forward in education the path gets narrower and narrower till you're literally you're I'm a pinpoint yeah, to, to where you may be researching one thing for your career. Yeah. And maybe you'll come up with innova- in, innovation that way to change the world, but my money is on a whole brain thinker.
1: Well, yeah, or at least somebody who can take all these various fields of research or all this various research data and put it all together. Right, what does, does, it, does it mean? mean? Sure, because research is just research until you apply it. So, Chuck, is there anybody on the horizon? Is there anybody we should be keeping an eye on? Maybe. Who? There's a few. I know some people might say the the first answer that comes to mind might be a
0: Stephen Hawking, but I did a little research, and while Hawking is no slouch, there are some in the physics community that think Hawking gets a lot of attention because he's generated a lot of attention through his books and uh, maybe through his disability uh, has garnered a lot of attention. So certainly not to knock anything he's done, but within the physics community, I don't know if he's as high on the list as some of these other guys and gals. Okay, guys and gals. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. They're so much smarter than I am. I'm calling them guys and gals. These <laughs> dudes and chicks. Yeah. Uh, Ed Witten is one of them. Okay. You ever heard of Ed? Eddie? I have not. No. He is a, a, a physicist, uh, specifically a mathematical physicist, and uh, studies at Princeton. He's gotten the MacArthur Genius Grant. I'll bet. He's won the Fields Medal, which is the highest uh, uh, medal or honor you can get in math. Uh-huh. So he's 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 been called the next Isaac Newton. But he works with string theory, which I know you're you're not a big fan of. I have one
1: word about string theory. What's that? Boo.
0: Boo. <laughs> yeah. So he's up there, and then uh, there's a guy, a dude named Murray Gell-Mann. Have you heard of him? Sure. Tell us about him. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, MGM, as I like to call him, he's a uh, prominent scientist, <laughs> and once again, he won the uh, Nobel Prize in Physics in 1969 for his work with the theory of uh, elementary particles. And he is the one that mm-hmm. came up with uh, quark, the quark.
1: Yeah. So he's no slouch. No, he's not a slouch. I mean, to, to predict the existence of a theoretical particle and then have it confirmed? Not bad. a pretty smart guy.
0: And then, you know, some people might say folks like Bill Gates, who uh, he's not a physicist or a
1: mathematician. But no, but he has a high emotional intellect.
0: A very high emotional intellect, uh, intellect and a lot of money, and uh a true visionary, and a guy that likes to spread
1: his money around to good causes nowadays. So yeah, I don't know what got in him or if he was always this way, and he was just really focused on Microsoft. But I gotta tell you, I like this repackaged uh, Bill Gates. yeah, he's a very generous guy. Apparently more than half his fortune he's invested outside of Microsoft. It's fantastic.
0: So, if you're talking about an innovator, I mean, you can only really do good if you're if you're
1: trying to help your fellow man, right? Well, yeah, or if it's a happy byproduct of your evil deeds. Like Oppenheimer? Sure. (laughs) No, that's the reverse of that. Okay, that's what I thought. So, Chuck, there's three innovations. You said we could do a lot more. I'm kind of glad we didn't, but uh, I am interested as well. Thank you for turning off the stopwatch. I, too, am interested to see what our uh, listeners who go to the blogs think,
0: too. There's certainly some, uh, I mean, we were talking... uh if we were just on pipe dream time like a a food pill where you could just drop some water on it it would create a meal sadly that was one that we considered talking about right yeah and you said duh it's called a vitamin yeah (laughs) and i felt kind of stupid yeah so you know we're not talking about george jetson type of stuff i mean real attainable things like teleportation sure yeah
1: it's right there right there it's faxing people So, who all speak the same language? Esperanto. Uh, And Chuck, I guess it's time for listener mail, right? Indeed. Yes, Josh, we're going to call this a walk
0: around the world listener mail. I have three quickies from uh, different parts of the world, and we're going to read them right now.
1: Okay, you're in a. We don't actually have to walk, though, right? (laughs) You're in a silly mood. I hate walking.
0: The first one is from Australia. G'day. My name is Nicola, and I'm a student from Melbourne. I am uh, finally sending you an email after months of nonstop listening. I just want to say thank you for putting metric conversions in your more recent shows. I've been confused by your measuring method, Imperial is it called. Also, I must confess, I love how you guys say Australia. I don't oh, know if that's be how, Yeah Oh, Uh Especially how you pronounce it. Would you say it again on the air for me? Chuck, go ahead. Australia. Australia. <laughs> Thanks a million, and that is from—I uh, won't say your biggest fan because that's what everyone says. I will call myself a committed fanatic. Actually, that sounds—it's way better than fan. Slightly creepy, if you ask me, Nicola. Huh. So, Nicola, uh, this one is from Luca in Serbia.
1: Luca says, "I'm writing about Nikola Tesla. You said that he was Austrian. That is not true. He was an ethnic Serb." Wait a minute. Our last one was—our last listener was Nicola from Australia. And now Luca from Serbia is writing about Nikola Tesla. How about that? This is crazy.
0: It's crazy. So he <laughs> says that is not true. He was an ethnic Serb who was born in today's Croatia, which was part of Austria. So he's not what you would consider today Austrian. He's actually Although I'm a
1: pretty Arab. sure uh, Luca just said he was born in
0: Austria. <laughs> so Croatians like to say he was Croatian, but he's a Serb because his father was an ortho- Orthodox priest. And Croatians are Catholics. So that is from... Luca. And then my final favorite from China. Remember Yao Jian? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. This is great. I'm just going to read it as it stands here, and we should go ahead and tell Yao we're not making fun. I love broken English. I think it's adorable. And when people make the effort, it really, you know, gives me a good feeling.
1: There you go, Chuck. Well done with that.
0: I'm a loyal fan of Stuff You Should Know. You guys always make me laugh, and when there have some weird words that I don't know, I will hear it repeatedly. So, I am a hard-working fan of your program. I got an interesting topic. I think why you guys don't talk about the Internet censorship and how to skip it. Because in my country, China, people can't access the YouTube. And interestingly, I even can't access your blog. So, we're banned in China. I know. I blogged about it. Uh, This is the American Life podcast. Maybe also illegal because I can't download it. There has a defense system named Great Wall wish you can see it and read it in your program but don't mock me is what he says and i think what he means there is i'm a you know apologies for the broken english or he meant don't mock it. Yeah, maybe it's a Yeah, it's threat. one of those. So that is from uh, Yao Jian, and we appreciate Yao listening. And
1: Yes, Yao, and thank you for the information, because I actually did blog about um, Tiananmen Square, the anniversary, the 20th anniversary has happened. I couldn't remember which listener told us that we were banned there, but yeah. i got to tell you, that's a point of pride for me. Yeah,
0: that's awesome, and we love folks writing in and giving their best attempt at speaking our uh, weird
1: language. Yeah. Zhao, Luca, Nicola, thanks to all of you. And I just think it's cool that there's people on the other side of the world that think we're interesting. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Well, if you want to tell us that we're interesting or correct us about where some guy was born or whatever. Or mock us. (laughs) Sure. You can send an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? stuff works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?